Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Thank you everybody for being here this morning. Take your Bibles if you would and turn to Luke chapter 13 as we continue our journey through Luke's narrative of who Jesus is. He is writing to give confidence to his Gentile readers that Jesus Christ is who they've said, that that which they've received, that which they believed is secure. Today's world is a mess. Does anybody agree? This world is just a mess. Uh, You cannot turn on your news or turn on the news. You can't read your social media feeds or read the paper without confronting some type of disaster, some war, some controversy, or breakdown in social norms. Some of them start off very small, only to morph into large problems, while others just blow out of proportion very quickly from one little incident. In any case, many of us are looking for a way to cope in this type of world, to get along with our families and friends, especially when they're hostile to our our faith and to the way in which we believe. We seem to be walking on eggshells with our coworkers and neighbors, trying to just keep the peace. We yearn for the kingdom of God as we are reading in the scripture reading, is reading about the kingdom of God coming to earth and wipe away all the tears from our eyes. No more pain, no more struggles, where God is with us. And we will be with him forevermore. We yearn for that. We want it to become a reality. We want to enjoy the, the peace, experience the justice and the righteousness that Christ will bring when he returns in the new earth. It's hard to time. It's hard at times to remember the story of the Bible, right? Those nine words: the prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. As turmoil surrounds us, almost every minute of the day, every moment, Scripture calls us though not to lose heart, not to be shaken, and not to despair. For the kingdom of God is here, and it's growing, and one day will be finally fulfilled in all of its glory. We yearn for that day. Come quickly, Lord. That's what that means. Maranatha. Last week we read how Jesus had healed a woman that was disabled by a demonic spirit on the Sabbath day, once again creating conflict with the religious leaders. However, Jesus finds vindication among his audience as they rejoice in the words of Christ that the Sabbath is a time of worship. It's a time of healing and liberation and, yes, of rest as we turn our eyes towards Christ. In today's passage, we come to the conclusion of Jesus' first leg in his journey to Jerusalem, where he has been spending most of his time, the majority of his time, teaching and instructing his disciples, knowing that his days are few and left as he moves towards Calvary and his divine appointment at the cross. He's trying to teach them what it means to truly to deny themselves, to pick up their cross and to follow him. In this passage today, as we come to it, we really see how Jesus teaches them how the kingdom of God starts from small and humble beginnings to grow into something much larger. So with that, Luke chapter 13, verse 18, let's read that silently with me as we read together. Again, encourage you to bring your Bibles. It is here on the monitor if you need it. 
But we see here it says that Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like the grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and it became a tree and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. Father, this is now preserved for us 2,000 years later. And we thank you for Luke's recording, the eyewitnesses account of Jesus's words. And Father, we know that this is more than just a book of history or just a manual or rule book, but it's the words of life. Who else can we go to? Who else has the words of life? But you have given us through the martyrs and through those who have sacrificed much to give us our translation of the Bible. So we thank you for that. And we accept the responsibility and the privilege now to open it up, to read your word, to listen with spiritual ears, to plead with the Holy Spirit to give us understanding that we may respond to its truth. We thank you so much. Be with our time. In your name we pray. Amen. Now as we come to Luke chapter 13 and verse 18, Luke picks up his narrative with Jesus addressing that crowd after healing the woman in the synagogue. Uh, You might recall from Luke chapter 13 verse 17, we read that as he said these things, speaking about the Sabbath, uh, that all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by Jesus. They were rejoicing in him. Jesus was vindicated in the ruler of the synagogue was shamed by the congregation. Instead, though, of basking in their adoration, Jesus uses this moment of approval to teach them about the kingdom of God. You might recall that he has already admonished a great crowd of people earlier in chapter 12 about their lack of ability to be able to discern the signs of the times about the kingdom of God. In chapter 12 of Luke, Jesus had warned them of adopting the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because that one day they will stand before God in the day of judgment and judgment is coming soon. So they are not to delay. And in that they are to repent. Repentance, I'm sorry, is is required for the reconciliation with their creator. So with all this context coming in here, he's wanting to teach them again, here's what the kingdom of God is. He's he's understanding that they're just not grasping his teaching. Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. Yes, they may be adoring him and giving him adulation at this moment, but he knew truly what was in their heart. Their adulation and adoration was only surface deep. He knew that in several months, many of them will join the whole city of Jerusalem shouting one day, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, but then crucify him on the next day. Scripture records that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is inviting all who hear him to enter into the kingdom of God through repentance and faith. 
At first, the people respond favorably to his preaching and teaching. They are amazed at his miracles and astounded by his power and authority over both the supernatural and the natural world as he walks on water and casts out demons. They are excited and hopeful as he heals those who are sick, disabled, and he even speaks the dead to life. There's not about much about Jesus as you watch him that you would dislike. They are wondering and speculating, is this the Messiah? Is this the anointed one of Yahweh who has come to save us from the hated Romans and restore us to our own lands? Is this the son of David who will rule once again in Jerusalem, bringing peace and justice? As Jesus pronounces, he has come to inaugurate the kingdom of God. Many are confused. Since Jesus seems to have a different view of what the kingdom is than what they have come to believe, desire, and yearn for. A kingdom, just for you and I, we don't speak of kingdoms much. There are some kingdoms still. The, uh, Saudi Arabia is thought of as a kingdom. Some of the Middle East uh, places are. So maybe some in South, uh, uh, South uh, East Asia, maybe. But a kingdom refers to a realm, a dominion, a region, or a country that's governed by a king or, or one ruler. To help to correct their misunderstanding of the kingdom of God, Jesus teaches them two parables using analogies to describe what the kingdom of God is like. He wants to compare it to something so they can understand what it's like. What is interesting, he uses both men and women activities to demonstrate the comparison of the kingdom of God. So the first analogy, if you'd like to take notes, is about planting. It's about planting. Look again at verse 19. Jesus says, the kingdom of God... It's like a grain of a mustard seed. Now, you and I know the the little parable, the the grain of mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds. It said that a man took and he sowed it in the garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Seemed simple enough. I think most people can understand it. However, this image would have been a shock to Jesus' listeners. No pious Jew doubted that the kingdom would come And that it would be vast and glorious. Israel was expecting the king to come in apocalyptic power, glory, and majesty. Yet what Christ is speaking here is teaching almost the exact opposite. The kingdom of God would not come in power and in majesty and in size and in strength. But would have a small, insignificant beginning. And then slowly grow to maturity. It could be missed if if not known exactly where that seed was planted. It would take some time to grow to maturity. A mustard plant is a shrub that grows anywhere from 5 to 20 feet tall. It starts as a very small seed that eventually produces shelters to birds. This imagery, though, should not have been shocking as as they should have recalled the words of the prophet Ezekiel who prophesied hundreds of years uh, earlier in Ezekiel 17. Thus saith the Lord of God, he says, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twig, a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. But here he's using a mighty tree, a a cedar tree. He's going to take a twig and he's going to place it on the mountain. God himself is going to do some planting. Look at verse 23. 
On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. So that's what they're looking for. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. So they're expecting this mighty twig to come very quickly into a large cedar. If you've ever seen cedar trees, especially there in the Lebanon area, they were humongous. And so they're expecting this to come, but Jesus is telling them something different. No, it's going to start from a small, insignificant, but however, in this parable, we see that the tree does provide shelter and protection. It provides comfort and rest. It provides substance and food for those who seek shelter under it. The spiritual truth here. And you'll see it here as we come. The kingdom of God will grow from small beginnings and slowly grow to full maturity and glory. The kingdom of God will grow from a small beginning and slowly grow to full maturity and glory. You and I can, can, can bank on that, that the kingdom of God will grow. God has not forgotten it. It has not been misplaced. It has not been trampled on. It has not been destroyed, but it is growing. You may take your Bibles, if you would, quickly and turn to Acts chapter 1. I want to look at the small beginnings that you and I are speaking of. Look at Acts, if you would, real quickly. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we see that Christ is ascended, or get ready to ascend. Acts, again, is a, another book of Luke written by him to record the history of the church. In Acts chapter 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, remember that's who Luke is. Luke wrote to Theophilus in Luke, in Luke. So the first book is Luke. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We, many times we forget that is that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching them more about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from, heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So even at Christ's ascension, there does not come then, as Christ is coming up, there's no big kingdom coming down. He says, wait until the Holy Spirit. But the kingdom of God is coming. So then as we go then on to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we see that at the day of Pentecost, that in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. It says the company of the persons was about 120. So now we see that there's 120 people there. In Acts chapter 2, as we go on in verses 1 through 4, we see that Peter then begins to preach to a crowd there in Jerusalem. So then in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 38, we're not going to read all these. I'm just getting you where we are. We see that 3,000 souls are saved that day. From the 12 disciples to the 120 that are gathered in the room to the 3,000. Then as you and I go on to Acts chapter 2, verses 42, you see that the church is growing in favor. 
all are seeing what God is doing and it's attracting and drawing Jews from all around Jerusalem to see what this is all about. But that's not all. Because as you and I go into Revelation, we see an immense growth that's demonstrated by the great martyrs for the kingdom. For God is not yet done. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, he says, after this, John is looking at the vision. He said, I looked, and behold, in heaven, a great multitude that no one could number. Could you imagine that? Now, he's using hyperbole. I suppose if he had enough time, you could number them. But he's saying there's a great number, a multitude in heaven from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, who is clothed in white robes, with, or, or they're clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The blood of the martyrs becomes the seed that grows the kingdom of God to where in heaven. John says it cannot be numbered. The second analogy involves baking. Look at verse 21. It is like leaven that a woman took and hid, that's important, it hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Ironically, as we were getting ready to prepare this message, several of our women a month or so ago uh, here at OVC have taken up the hobby of baking bread from scratch. Praise God. It's been interesting to watch them with just one small portion of yeast, a starter, a starter kit, make and manipulate the dough to make tasty bread. One of God's wonderful gifts to all of us. Leaven is a yeast, an agent that causes the dough to rise. It is hidden in in that it cannot be seen, and it gradually permeates the dough, causing it to grow. Now, normally in Scripture, leaven is associated with evil. However, in this case, it becomes a catalyzing agent that causes the dough to rise and grow, meaning the kingdom of God is going to grow. Three measures of of, uh, of, fl- of flour here is equal to about 12 quarts, enough to feed 100 men. So we're, we're talking about a large group. This parable contrasts with the parable of the mustard seed in that it doesn't grow externally like a tree does and you see it, but it permeates internally compared to the small quantity used. The kingdom operates quietly and from a small beginning. So the kingdom of God is not fully visible, active, but begins with inner transformation. I believe that's so important, especially as we look at this world. There are some who believe that, uh, that Christ won't come or that we ourselves will usher in the kingdom, but that's not what we see from Scripture. Here's the spiritual truth if you're writing them down, is that the kingdom of God's influence will permeate the world from the inside out. It will permeate. Now, many times in this world, it seems like we're going backwards. But again, Scripture tells us that. Do not be dismayed, for there will come many who will scratch the itchy ears, so to speak. He'll speak, he'll be false prophets. However, the kingdom of God is going to permeate. In Thessalonica, it was said of the Christians that these are men who have turned the world upside down. And now they have come here also. And if you know anything about Christian history, or just even secular history, that Christianity did change the world inside out, upside, turned it upside down and inside out. 
as we see it permeates the Roman Empire, eventually becoming the empire's religion, and then spread across what we now know as the Western world and even beyond. In Philippi, they said, these men are Jews, speaking of those Christians, and they are disturbing our city. Many times, that's how it's viewed, meaning that the, men were tur- that the many were turning from idol worshiping and worshiping Christ. They were not spending money on idols, but, but giving their money to support the missionaries and supporting others who were in need. Same way, the kingdom of God is not about external growth, but it's about eternal growth one heart at a time. Now, some might ask, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Well, the answer, according to one author, is that the kingdom of God is the rule of the eternal sovereign God over all creatures and things. He he is the eternal sovereign creature of all things. What he says goes. The kingdom of God embraces all created intelligence, both in heaven and earth, that are willingly subject to the Lord and are in fellowship with him. R.C. Sproul puts it a different way. He remarks that when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he speaks of a place where God reigns absolutely. Like right here. For God reigns absolutely. And that absolute rule is carried out according to justice, mercy, and righteousness. And Jesus is announcing the breakthrough of that kingdom of God here on earth. Here the king gives us insight into the nature of the kingdom of God in these two short statements or similes, these parables. Daryl Bach writes that the general Jewish expectation, though, was that the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God, would be established suddenly and decisively. It would come like a thief in the night, like lightning. And the Romans would be dispersed and, 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 and defeated. And the people would once again reign on the land. People expect the kingdom to come in a public display of power, pomp, and permanency. They are confused about Jesus. They, 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 are, they are attracted to them. They are, they are in wonderment of them. But yet he's still leaving them unsatisfied. That he was sent from God was undisputed. But like the Old Testament prophets before him, the people rejected his ministry, his message, and eventually the man. He does not meet their expectations, nor does he gain their endorsement. Theologian Howard Marshall notes, you'll see here this on the monitor, on this parable that Jesus speaks of the kingdom. That the stress here on this parable on the kingdom is not so much on the idea of growth itself as on the certainty that what appears tiny and insignificant will prove to have been the beginning of a mighty kingdom. It is what you and I read there in Revelation in our scripture reading of earlier. Yes, it may start with small, subtle beginnings, but it will produce something much, much greater. The kingdom of God will advance and grow. You can be certain of that. Despite all, any and all opposition or the current appearance, as Jesus declared in Peter in Matthew 16, I will build my what? My church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For my kingdom is mightier than all. Thomas Schreiner, we've been indebted to him throughout this series. 
He writes that the world looks at the message of the kingdom and does not recognize the truth that the kingdom is not found in Rome. It's not found in Herod. It's not found in the Pharisees or the religious leaders or in some uh, disturbance of the law that they are following. But the truth of the kingdom is found in Jesus. Amen? For without Jesus, there is no kingdom. But yet they're rejecting the very one who is the anointed one of God. Take your book, or take your, take your Bible, and turn to the book of Colossians. Now you've seen a lot of Colossians, mainly because uh, the men and some of the ladies might be joining us. We're reading Colossians 1 and 2 uh, during the month of March. We'll be reading Colossians 3 and 4 during April. So as you read every day for 30 days a portion of scripture, it kind of comes alive to you and you kind of say, wow, this is some truth. So I want to share that with you because I think the kingdom of God is very much found in Colossians. Colossians is a letter that Paul writes to the church of Colossae there in Asia Minor, what you and I know as Turkey today. And the apostle Paul writes to the church of Colossae here and he references the kingdom in several ways. First, in Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 5, he writes about the growth of the kingdom when he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Remember, Jesus came preaching the gospel. And what was the gospel? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Okay? So he says, The word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. Now, this is about 40, 30 to 40 years after Christ, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit earlier. It is bearing fruit and what? Increasing. It started small in Jerusalem, in that little upper room. Now it's grown now in Jerusalem. And now we see that it's already in Asia Minor. And he says it's increasing throughout the whole world. Like the mustard tree that is growing. Many now are finding shelter under the tree. Jews and Gentiles alike. Like the leaven that's put into the dough. It is rising to where it's growing larger and larger. Feeding more people. As it also does among you. Speaking of the increasing and bearing fruit. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It begins small with the hearing and the acceptance of the call of the gospel. It increases and bear fruits. Secondly, Paul writes of how you and I can enter the kingdom or what is happening when we speak about entering into the kingdom of God. It's in verse 13. It says that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness. You see, you and I were once in the kingdom of of darkness, but he says now we're transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And so now are you, you and I transferred from one kingdom to another, but it's done through the forgiveness of sins that is found in the atonement of Christ. But then we continue on. Thirdly, he describes the majesty and the authority of our king in verse 14, one of my favorite passages. And famous. Look at verse 14. Speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. There is nothing inside or outside this earth. That was not made by the word of Christ. Whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and, for, uh, and, through him and for him. Let me just say again an editorial note. Putin is in power because of God has put him in power. 
Same as any other ruler throughout history and through time. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be, pre- be preeminent. And so I'd ask for you, those of you who have been uh, transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. Is Christ preeminent in your heart? Let's go on to verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of cross. Let me tell you, for those of us that are in the kingdom of God, we have a righteous, almighty Ruler, one who is ruling in justice. Fourth, Jesus is the head of all rule and authority as we continue on. And he has the keys to the kingdom. As Paul declares in Colossians chapter 2, going to the next chapter, look at verse 2. To reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. For those of us who are in the kingdom, he's given us the ability to have full understanding and knowledge for which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just like the leaven that's hidden in the flower, the knowledge and mystery of all things is hidden in there. That's Christ. He is the key to all things. As we just transition out of there, I would say to the unbeliever, We need to warn you, do not be in denial concerning the message and ministry and man of Jesus Christ. This world is not all that we have. This is not everything. We live for this world, right? Everything that we have is contained in this world. And we we become so infatuated with this world that we don't want Christ. We've counted the cost and says, I don't want Christ. I reject him. He's offered me a kingdom that I don't desire. I'm not satisfied With that kingdom, I warn you, the day of judgment is coming. It was appointed unto man once to die, then after this, the judgment. God's kindness in delaying that judgment is to lead you to repentance so that you may be transferred to the believer. I want to encourage you do not be discouraged about the circumstances of this world. Don't be doubtful about what God's word and what it says about the kingdom. Do not be dismayed about this world and its corruption. Before ascending into heaven, where he is ascending to the right hand of, where he ascended and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, even at this very moment, Jesus gave his disciples the great commission. You see it here on the monitor. It's found in Matthew 28. And then he says, Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We just read that in Colossians. He goes on to say, go therefore and make disciples of of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as you and I enter the kingdom, you and I have been given a mission. 
T.S. Sinclair tweeted out this week, you'll see it here on the monitor, that the mission of the church, of those that are in the kingdom of God, is to make mature and multiply disciples of Christ. He then goes on to describe what that looks like or defines. To make is to win people to Christ, is to compel them to join us in the kingdom of God. To mature is to help believers grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That's what us elders, that's what we want to do is we want to feed and help supply what is lacking in your faith that you may become mature. Knowing and understanding and seeing that great or that uh, bearing fruit and increasing. And number three, multiply is to train, to reproduce and deploy in the mission. In other words, it's just not my job to preach and teach and to share the gospel. It's not just Randy's or Landon's. It's, it's each and every person that's in the kingdom of God. This is our job. This is our responsibility. However, we spend our time doing so many other things. We work on our, our health. We work on our body. What does the Bible said? Well, those things are profit a little bit, but in the end you lose it. It's the spiritual exercise that's more important. He tells us not to be worried about the things that we may eat or drink or have shelter because all those things will be given to us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Our priorities have been misplaced. Many times we've misunderstood the kingdom of God itself. We do these three things as we consider and follow the words of Christ in Matthew 5, where he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It can't. It's lost that chemical. It's gone. It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on their people's feet. They would use salt and throw it on, the bat, on their paths around their house to drive down a little bit of the dirt, things of that nature. We use it in the Midwest uh, to kind of help us with snow and to melt all those things. He goes on to say, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. That, that's the purpose of a light, of a lamp. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But, but we've hidden our lamp. We're embarrassed. However, we need to recognize if we're ashamed of Christ, he'll be ashamed of us. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Several other things for us to understand is that the growth and strength of the kingdom cannot be measured by the world's standards. There are times we struggle as a small community. We are part of the kingdom of God here. And we wonder, why is it not growing? We're, we're teaching the word. We're preaching the word. We're loving our people. We're encouraging. Why is there not the growth that we would expect? Why? Because it starts again, small, subtle. But the growth and strength of the kingdom of God cannot be measured by the number of baptisms we do each year. It's not by the number of attenders in our church. It's not by the number of churches that may be in a community. It's not by the popularity of its pastors, of its worship team, of its programs, or cutting-edge presentations. The word, the kingdom of God does not grow in that form or fashion. And it's sad when we have many churches today that have turned more to an attractional uh, um, a model of where they want to find seekers and they, they want to meet their needs. It's kind of grown here and, and exploded throughout the world. 
I like what one pastor said this week. I'm going to get it wrong. You guys can correct me because we follow the same people on Twitter. One pastor said, I don't really care what the world thinks about what I should do in church. Church is for believers. We're here submitting to God, proclaiming here. You and I are called to proclaim the word of God, leaving it up to the Holy Spirit to move, to blow, let the water to flow, so to speak, using the analogies we learned this morning in our adult core class. The kingdom of God, we have to remember, is greater than any earthly kingdom. You and I should not fear what is going on in this world. It cannot contain the word of God. The kingdom of God is greater than the allure of sin and its false promise of satisfaction. You are doing battle with sin. Do not despair. The kingdom of God is greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The kingdom of God is greater than all the riches of the world. I would rather have Christ. And the kingdom of God is greater than Satan and his demonic horde to destroy your marriage, to paralyze your thinking, to paralyze your Christian life. You and I need to recognize that it may be small, it may seem insignificant to the world, but yet it is greater than anything else this world has. Scripture declares in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, you'll see it here. God has highly exalted Jesus. Why? Because he gave his life for us. And he's bestowed on Jesus a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that says not only us, but I believe Hitler and Putin and any other despot you can name. One day they will kneel before the Jesus Christ and say, and say you are Lord. Like Samuel with his foot on King Agag's neck, ready to swipe it off, saying, the Lord has defeated you. See, you and I belong to a kingdom for those that have repented and put their trust in Christ. You belong to a kingdom that cannot be squashed, that cannot be ignored. The kingdom of God does not grow in advance through postmodern marketing techniques. It does not grow through the adoption of cultural and social norms, which many churches are doing today. It does not grow in advance through the favor of the government. It does not grow in advance through the compromise of God's word in a world that is hostile to its message. So you may say, well, then how does the kingdom grow then from small, insignificant, subtle ways into this large kingdom that you and I have seen and read in scripture? It's here on the monitor. The kingdom of God. I don't think I put that on there, did I? I meant to. So listen closely. I'll say it twice. The kingdom of God grows and advances one heart at a time. The kingdom of God grows and advances one heart at a time as the chosen children of God God, repent of their sins, deny themselves, abandon all things, and follow Jesus through faith. One heart at a time. As you submit. As you submit. Praying for your children to submit. As we share with our family and our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. The kingdom grows in advance one heart at a time as God is bringing in his children, as Jesus is gathering his sheep. My prayer is I pass several churches 
in several churches in the morning, every morning and are not preaching the gospel. My prayer is, Father, if there's any sheep, them, send them this our way. We don't know who they are, but God has called to gather us, to gather them, bring them into the kingdom of God. Now, there's several other considerations. We're close to the end about the kingdom. Is one, how does one enter into the kingdom? In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we read that there was a man of the Pharisees. Why don't you turn to it? We saw it, I think, earlier in ACC, but John chapter 1. Why don't you turn to that real quickly? It's a good one to remember, to be reminded again. John chapter 3, this is the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. See, they understood that he was from God. There was no other way to declare it. Even the Pharisees and the religious leaders at Jesus' trial understood that Jesus was from God, that you could not dispute that. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How does one enter it? How does one get to it? Got to be born again. I know it's a term that has maybe found, uh, been misused over the years. It's been used quite a bit. It's misunderstood. Nicodemus said to a man, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's rooms and be born? Quick question. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The only way entering to be transferred from, the, king, from the, the domain of darkness into the kingdom is through regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of ironic again. We're talking about that in our Sunday school, by the way. In our ACC adult core class in room 208 at 945, we're looking at the doctrines of grace and we're looking at how, God, how, the, how sovereign regeneration, how God brings one to himself, how he changes us from a, from a heart of stone to a, to a living flat, a heart of flesh in which we're able to taste and see that God is good. You and I need the Holy Spirit to come and change out our heart. Remember, our, uh, we're dead and we need to be made alive. And it's only by the blowing of the Spirit, the one who comes and enables us to see that God is good, to see the beauty and the wisdom of Christ and see that even though he may be hidden to the rest of the world, we, our eyes are open to the glory of what Christ has done on our behalf. And then we respond with repentance and faith. The one who has done that is confirmed as a citizen of the kingdom. They are adopted as sons of God. They are appointed as ambassadors who plead that all would be reconciled to God. They are commissioned as witnesses to proclaim the teachings of Christ. And they are anointed as the aroma of Christ, a fragrance that leads to life or also could lead to death. So you and I have a place in the kingdom of God. We are to do the work that God has commissioned us to do. Now this will be difficult as the truth is only available to people who believe and are taught by God while, he, while the rejection of Jesus means the decreasing darkness of disbelief. Romans 1, he has given us over to a futile mind. We live in a world that is very hostile to our faith. They have rejected, speaking of the world, has rejected the claims of Christ. 
and rebelled against the kingdom of God. They do not want him to be their ruler. However, we are called to be faithful in the midst of these difficulties. We are called to boldly obey God's word in defiance of any and all circumstances and consequences. Let me tell you, being a citizen, being a son of God in the kingdom of God is going to be difficult. Jesus told us it will create family difficulties. It will create division among you and others. We will be rejected and ridiculed. We will be canceled. We will be shunned by many. Many times by the people we love and care for. Yet he calls us to be obedient as children of God. Glorying that we belong to the kingdom of God. Being faithful and sharing that the kingdom of God is here. Starting from small, subtle beginnings. Maybe even insignificant. Jesus, a man who never wrote a book, never made a movie. Didn't write anything down. Died in a, died a, a, a traitor's death. Some backward country. But yet from there he has changed the world and will continue to do so until the day he comes. For that, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 here on the monitor. You and I need to hold on to truth. He says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be what? Shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship. Amen. With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Amen. We have a wonderful God. I invite you, come to the kingdom of God. Repent and put your trust that God has accepted the works of Christ on our behalf. If you are here today and you are a citizen of the kingdom, then begin to do your duties as God has called you to do, knowing that the kingdom of God is coming in power and majesty with much pomp and circumstance when Christ returns. Amen? Let's go ahead and I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes as Landon joins us for pastor's prayer? I just want you to take a moment to pause and consider the words about the kingdom. Many of us forget the kingdom of God is even there. We're so infatuated and busy with this world. We need to remember that there is a greater kingdom, that our citizenship is in heaven. And that is our permanent eternal home. And we live our lives as if he's coming at any moment. Maybe it's time to disengage ourselves in some ways, in some form or fashion, from the kingdom of this world, living out the requirements, the expectations of those that are in the kingdom of Christ. Then pray and respond to see how God would call you to respond to the Spirit's work on the call of the kingdom. Lainey, would you come and close us in prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. 
Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.